Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, we are discussing the city of Whitehall and the transformation that it's going through. Columbus Underground reporter Brent Warren sat down with Whitehall's mayor, Kim Maggard, and their economic development director, Zach Woodruff, to discuss new mixed-use development plans in Whitehall, how they believe they are uniquely positioned to grow in the years to come, and what you should know about Whitehall. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about our local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive Central Ohio. MORPSI's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth in the region. For more information, please visit morpsy.org. Enjoy the interview. Thank you for talking with us today, Mayor Maggard. I was hoping you could just give us a little little bit of your background and how long you've been mayor of Whitehall and what led you to this to this position. My background is varied in the fact that I have undergraduate degrees in police administration and sociology, uh, public education teaching certificate, and also have done graduate work in library science. Before I became mayor, I was actually a manager with the Columbus Metropolitan Library System at the Whetstone branch. I became auditor in 2003, and I was auditor for the city of Whitehall for eight and a half years. And then in 2012, uh, I became mayor, and I've been mayor since then. I moved to Whitehall in 1981. My husband received a job offer with DFAS at the DSCC Center. And so as a young mom and a young wife with one child, moved up here. We made our home in Whitehall. We had three more children. And so now, here I am. <laughs> Great. Um, just... To give a little context, we've been talking um, to a lot of different people about sort of the growth in the region and how Columbus and its surrounding suburbs are going to need to kind of adapt to that growth and maybe redevelop some sites that that have, were developed a long time ago and there's a, a ability to densify certain places, especially your major corridors that are going through the city. And in Whitehall, you have two major corridors and you have some big plans for redevelopment. So I wanted to talk about those, um, starting at uh, sort of what seems to be the centerpiece of your efforts, which is the corner of Broad and Hamilton. Um, can you give us a quick rundown on, on that? 
Absolutely. Well, the corner at Broad and Hamilton were formerly an apartment community, uh, about 18 acres, that was probably built in the late 40s or early 50s. And it was built for all the population boom, baby boomers and their parents that was going on at that time. And at that time, in at DSCC, there wasn't enough military housing to house all the military personnel that was there. So this also helped to bridge that gap. However, there wasn't any updates to that apartment community during all this time. And this, to be clear, we're talking about the southwest corner of the intersection? Right. Yes. (laughs) And so we realized that in order to really make an impression and make ourselves a leader in the market of redevelopment, we needed to do some urban planning in our city. And we looked at that specific uh, apartment community. We were able to purchase it. And now we have a great plan that is currently now under construction at the southwest corner with apartments. It's going to be mixed-use development. There's going to be a public park in the center that will really be inviting for people to come and play sports, have music, um, farm markets, things like that, in order to make sure that we are trying to reach out to the interest of many, many people. Mm-hmm. And you say mixed use. This is, there's apartments. There's Is there a senior component to it or no? No. Uh, apartments, there will be offices, mm-hmm. uh, possibly rest. Well, I know there will be restaurants, possibly some retail uh, kind of boutique type things. Not sure yet. So we're kind of looking in that area. But it is going to be an apartment community, which there will be offices on the east side of Hamilton Road. Mm-hmm. And the, the name of this redevelopment is Norton, Norton Crossing. Crossing. Yes, okay. um, do you want to talk a little bit about... Um, the reception of this idea and sort of how it came to be and how how long have you been working on this project? Yeah, so my, my name is Zach Woodruff. I'm the Director of uh, Development and Public Service for the City of Whitehall. I've been uh, with the city in some capacity now for um, going on 18 years. Um, and so, you know, what I'll tell you is that the, the rebirth and revitalization that we're seeing in the community um, really is unprecedented uh, for the city. Um, we started, uh, when the mayor came in in 2012, we started in 12 and 13 um, talking to stakeholders and community members, um, looking at plans like uh, the Insight 2050 study and understanding that if there really is going to be a million more people that move to Central Ohio, Whitehall is uniquely positioned to take advantage of a lot of that growth. Um, and the only way that we were going to be able to take advantage of it was because it was by becoming more dense. We don't have, you know, a, townships or farmland that we can annex. Um, so all the growth that we're going to have to accommodate for, um, we're going to have to do that by going up. And so uh, after we purchased uh, the what no, was known as the Commons at Royal Landing apartment complex, the mayor referenced. Um, the community really embraced that purchase, that acquisition, um, for a variety of reasons. One being, you know, our division of police the year before we bought the complex um, averaged going to the complex 2.3 times a day, every day. Um, and so removing blight um, from the community, the community really embraced. 
We then spent 12 months talking to leaders about um, what density looked like, why multifamily wasn't a bad word, because um, I'm sure you guys here in suburbs, um, the, the former notion of, well, the only people who rent apartments are people who can't afford to buy a house, and it's those people, so to speak, who rent apartments, and that's not the market today. Um, lots of people choose apartment living. They choose to be in dense, walkable, urban environments. Um, and so we spent 12 months working with our leaders so that they understood what those kind of principles meant. And then we went through an exhaustive RFQ process and ultimately selected Continental Real Estate and Frank Cass um, to lead the redevelopment here. And the overwhelming reception that we got was of acceptance, of excitement. Um, I think we've actually gotten more criticism on how long it's taken from concept to construction rather than what the concept was. Mm -hmm. um, people are really excited about what this mixed-use project will be, um, and it really is you know, finding a, a higher and better use for now what is 25 acres at Broad and Hamilton. So it's a really exciting time, um, and residents and businesses and stakeholders and investors have really responded favorably. When you say you, you spent all this time working with your the leaders in the community, do you mean yours, this is like city council, or so who is this that you're... It's, it's stakeholders of all sizes and shapes and people, and so it's city council, it's department heads, it's um, members of civic organizations, it's going and talking to the senior citizens club about why multifamily isn't something they need to be scared of. Um, it is talking to business leaders in our chamber of commerce and getting them excited about what this potential is. Um, we, one of the benefits of working um, in 5.2 square miles uh, is that uh, we've all met. Uh, and so, you know, when you go to Kroger, you run across seven people who are either volunteering, have kids in sports, or that you see at church. And so, you know, that is a built-in advantage um, that we utilize to really help um, educate folks on, you know, why, you know, why we did a, a $50 million mixed-use project rather than single-family homes. Because originally, when you talk to people about what should we do with these 18 acres, the response we got was single-family homes. <laughs> single-family homes at the southwest corner of Broad and Hamilton probably isn't the best place, and you can't get that many anyway. So it, that wasn't going to work. So, you know, we, we listen to the public, to our residents, but then we also have to make sure we're educating them on why, if we're not doing single-family homes, why that wouldn't work. And here's really a vision coming from the mayor. Here's what we do think based on data and evidence and studies that what will work. Mm -hmm. When we've talked to developers in other communities, like in Dublin, Upper Arlington, mm -hmm. they're building uh, mixed-use projects. And a lot of the demand for those products are actually current residents of those communities mm -hmm. who maybe they're looking to sell their house mm -hmm. and move to an apartment. Have you found that? to be the case here as well? Yes. Yeah. We've had lots of interest, verbally, face-to-face -face interest with residents saying, I'm going to really look at that to consider moving because my house is too big, my yard is too big, and frankly, I'm more interested in more simplified living where I could possibly just walk a few doors away to a restaurant, I have a public park right there, and I believe that I'm ready for a change. So we have had lots of interest from our residents. The other thing I would say is one of the things that make White, makes Whitehall unique is that uh, in 2017, uh, we had 33,000 people who worked in Whitehall. Um, we have a population of uh, just over 19,000. Um, but only 3% of Whitehall residents actually work in the city. 
Hmm. So what that means is that there's a tremendous amount of employees that work in Whitehall that don't live here. And all of the data suggests that specifically young people want to live closer to where they work. And so we also view this as not only helping our current residents, you know, either downsize or change their living uh, status or, or the, what kind of house or home they live in, um, but we also view it as an attraction tool um, and a workforce issue for a lot of our employers. DSCC, uh, as an example, DLA, the largest employer on the base, um, Defense Logistics Agency, um, it has it every year through attrition hires 150 new employees. By and large, those people are 26 to 33, married, no kids. I don't have the housing today that is attractive for those young professionals. Mm -hmm. And so the development like Norton Crossing uh, creates an inventory that I otherwise don't have. Um, it will also be the closest mixed-use urban uh, redevelopment to occur near job hubs like Mount Carmel East Hospital and the airport. Um, so those 33,000 people I mentioned earlier do not include do not include Mount Carmel. Don't include mm -hmm. L Brands. Doesn't don't include the the airport. And so there's a tremendous amount of people who work right around here, and their options for this kind of new development just don't exist. So Norton Crossing is under construction now. What is the timeline? When are we going to see people moving in to that project? So. Uh, what we're hearing from Continental is that they believe that they'll be able to start accepting residents moving in late summer of next year. Um, and so again, as the mayor mentioned, phase one uh, has kicked off. Um, that features 360 upscale residential units, the public park, um, the clubhouse, the fitness center, as well as one restaurant. And then we're currently working with Continental on office users and other retail. Okay. And then moving across that intersection, there's another potentially enormous project that this is also land that's in controlled by the city of Whitehall, correct? Yes. Um, yes, it is. Do you want to give us the overview of, of that project? Also? Sure. We're also looking uh, for Woodcliffe, uh, formerly condominiums, to become a multi-use development as well. Now, on that site, you actually have the northern back portion that overlooks the park, Whitehall Community Park. So we're looking at definitely apartments, possibly condos, and we want to actually put in an affordable uh, living component uh, unit in this development. At my State of the City, I said for the next five years, I'd like for anything that we do to have 20% affordable living component if it's apartments or any type of housing. And also, we're looking at mobility. We know that mobility is a real problem in central Ohio. For instance, we have too many people on our roads, infrastructure's crumbling, and even with the hike in the gas tax, it's gonna continue to crumble until we get different modes of transportation in central Ohio. So we wanna put in a mobility hub as part of this multi-use development. For example, we could have, you know, lift cars or rent cars. We could have definitely some micro transportation. We've uh, had conversations with Coda, you know, scooters, things like that, to where people can feel, I don't have to have a car to get where I need to go. I can use these other forms of transportation and still save money and still get to my job in a reasonable amount of time. So we're looking for this to be transformative uh, on the east side of, you know, Columbus. 
The Confluence Cast is sponsored by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive Central Ohio. MORPSI's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth of the region. For more information, please visit morpsy.org. And would this be the same scenario where you would look for a developer to partner with or multiple developers or how how would that go it, forward? It definitely could be multiple mm-hmm. developers considering what we're, you know, we're thinking about. Right. I think that's I think that's right. I, the site is about 35 acres mm-hmm. there on the northeast corner. Um, and so, you know, our initial concept plan, you know, calls for a million square feet of construction, you know, upwards of 700 residential units and maybe a quarter million square feet of commercial office. Um, again, with acres of public green space integrated. Um, and so with a project of that size, um, we've internally had some conversations about do we divide that up into two or three different RFQs and select different developers. Um, so it's not one project dependent on one developer. Um, but, you know, we're still really working to evaluate that. Um, we believe demolition uh, of the site uh, potentially could occur um, in August and be completed by the end of the year um, with then RFQ, RFQs uh, being ready to be submitted out to the to the development world third quarter of this year, mm-hmm. selection of the beginning of next year. So like the Norton Crossing site, this site it's not like this was an empty site there was already housing on it um can you just briefly take me through the history of that because i know that was a pretty drawn out process right yeah so um the woodcliffe condominiums uh the woodcliffe condominium unit owners have actually been in litigation with the city for 12 years Um, so this is the longest consecutively running uh environmental court case in environment franklin county's environmental history um and so we were, we received a, a court order last August um, after the owners voted uh, overwhelmingly uh, to accept uh, the city's offer. Um, and so we took possession in February. Um, as leases expired, um, we did not renew any of them. So we're working on, um, you know, the, the complex will be vacant by the end of May. Um, and so um, we've worked with um, Homeport and Impact um, in the Urban League um, to uh, help those residents find other housing or to become aware of resources that they may be qualified for um, to help ease that transition. Um, but again, you know, it was declared uh, through the courts a, a public nuisance twice. Um, we've had four different judges, four receivers, multiple runs up through the Court of Appeals. Um, it's been a very long journey. Um, and you know what the city's ultimate goal there was to to have the nuisance abated, um, whether that was the uh, underserved water issues or sanitary problems out there. I mean the the lists are very long and would take up an entirely different podcast. Um, but uh, you and know, these just give me an idea. How old are these? So these are these are 1950s duplexes um, that had um, 317 units, 153 buildings, and 126 different owners. Um, I 
I'm the landlord, so I know the numbers. <laughs> did 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 anyone tell you you were crazy to try and uh, well, do so, this project? So the first ten years was just the city work, trying to get the receivers, trying to get the owners to fix the problems, mm-hmm. to abate the nuisance. Ultimately, they were unable to do so, and so the city said, "Okay, this is never going to get fixed. So here's what we can offer." to just purchase it. There is no solution. And in fact, the the court order from Judge Hawkins in the environmental court actually spells it out pretty plainly that, you know, that there is no other history has proven that there is no other viable solution that will permanently abate the nuisance conditions at the condos. Um, This was the only solution where um, the nuisance would be abated. So, I mean, what we have found since we became owner is that there were a lot of folks living in in what I would consider and anyone uh, objectively would consider substandard housing. The mayor mentioned affordable housing a minute ago. You know, we want to ensure that everyone in Whitehall is living in safe, secure housing. And when you have a complex that's been declared a nuisance multiple times and, uh, you know, we have lots of pictures that show, that document just how unsanitary the, the apartments there were, um, you know, were we're pleased that we're able to do something else with that property. You both mentioned affordable housing moving forward, and there's a commitment to have that be a part of this project. And I know there are a couple of home port projects mm-hmm. that are in the works now, right? That are in Whitehall. Is that yes, correct? yes. Uh, we have on the corner of Edna and Hamilton. We have senior uh, living apartments from Homeport, and we're getting ready to build 35 uh, additional units right behind there. And on the other side, on the north side, we plan on building workforce housing uh, with, you know, through through Homeport. So we're very excited about that. We've been very happy with our relationship and our partnership with Homeport. We find them to be quality, quality uh, builders, developers, and just really good people to to work with they care about their mission and they care about who they're serving so i think that's very important and actually it fits in great with the philosophy of whitehall is that we're here to make the world a better place by making sure that whitehall is a better place and I and I would want to mention here too, we do have you know the mayor mentions affordability moving forward, but the city has also participated you know, actively or indirectly on the creation of over 200 affordable housing units in the city over the last 10 years, and the project the mayor just mentioned would bring another 140 workforce and affordable housing units online as well. Um, so we have really been, I believe, at the forefront of ensuring that affordability Whitehall has as a percentage. Uh, fewer affordable housing units than Gehanna or Reynoldsburg. Mm. What we have is a lot of naturally occurring affordable housing of last resort. And so, you know, it's been our goal to transition a lot of that housing. Uh, so I mentioned Woodcliffe earlier. There were there are people at Woodcliffe who were paying as much as nine fifty a month to live in substandard housing. So how do we transition that instead to safe, secure, affordable, or workforce housing so that, you know, you can lower their costs of housing, which we know is escalating in central Ohio. But we've really been um, a leader in in that area and will continue to to do so as we ensure that we're looking at that issue in all of our developments. We want to integrate, we want to disperse, rather, um, affordable and workforce housing throughout the community. So there isn't a concentration of it at one corner and one development, but really disperse it throughout the entire city. And have you um, 
with these affordable housing projects, the newer ones, have you run into any opposition from, I mean, we cover this a lot too, and a lot of communities, there's the nimbyism, not in my backyard, you hear that a lot about affordable housing. Have you run into that in Whitehall? No, and the reason for that is we definitely educated, you know, our citizens on the importance of safe and secure uh, housing. That affordable housing does not need to be housing of last resort for people. And, our, you know, look at our demographics. The, the the residents who live in Whitehall understand the need for affordable housing. And in fact, when uh, we've done a lot of senior citizen affordable housing, and residents will say, well, what about us? So they're looking forward to this. They're looking forward to the opportunity to live in uh, better housing than what they currently are. Or they're looking also at ways in which if they own a home, that we have programs here in Whitehall that will help them actually fix up their home. Mm. And so we have those programs as well. So we're not getting really that much you know, pushback for this. I think our citizens understand what the real need is. Well, and to the point, the mayor and I and a lot of her department heads spent a lot of time again engaging the community and educating them. We, we spent, we've spent multiple years working with our city leaders and, and working with community members so that they understand the issue. I knew that we had really turned a, a page when we were doing the home port rezoning for workforce housing and for an additional component of affordable housing. And not a single question was about why are we doing affordable housing or why would we do workforce? It was all about site development. It was all about ingress and egress and what color block or what color brick and where are the windows and how do you get around and what's the landscaping and what kind of trees. And so I knew city planners now. Well, right. And so my point being, that's how I knew as a community as a whole, we had really turned that corner um, because those were the questions, not why are we doing that? Not in my backyard. Oh, yes, we need affordable housing, but be great if it was over there or not here. Or why does it have to be in Whitehall? Um, We have we have been very fortunate that the, the folks that we've been able to talk to, understand the issue to the mayor's point or um, they at least will under they will they'll hear us out on why the need is is what it is and you know we have a lot of good facts to back it up like i said there are there's fewer actual affordable housing units in whitehall than there are in gahan on reynoldsburg and when you say that to people they are a bit shocked and then they understand why we need to why, why it's a workforce issue mm-hmm. you talk about naturally occurring affordable housing which if i understand that correctly it's just sort of housing that ages is that right and housing that ages without investment right and these two big developments at that intersection of broad and hamilton both are replacing that kind of housing absolutely and but is that a concern is there more of that kind of housing in whitehall do you is there more development in the future that's going to replace this sort of aging housing or are there other places that you see the development going i would like to say that we have to look uh, to the future we cannot have our city just stay the same. And yes, there are other apartment communities that are older and may need help later or may need, you know, you know, some some help in making sure that they can be upgraded. So I'm not going to say that we're out to knock down all apartment communities and build new. That's not what we're here for. But what we're here for is to make sure that we give the best services to our residents and make sure that people have safe and secure homes. And 
Unfortunately, in Whitehall, we do have aging structures that have not been upkept. So we're really trying to work hard and build those relationships with the landlords in order that we can possibly have viable plans or we can help them in some way in possibly fixing up their property. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly right. I think one of the things that we've just recently undertaken is a citywide comprehensive development blueprint plan um, in partnership with OHM advisors. Um, and part of that plan kind of lays out action items on how to address other aging apartment complexes or you know the aging uh, type of our home construction um, and putting in action items and, and goals and those kind of things that we can address those in the long term. If you look at a lot of our apartment complexes, much like the two that we purchased, um, they are typically two or fourplex on large acres, um, and that's not the density you would try to accomplish today. I think our goal in redeveloping these 75 acres at Broad and Hamilton is to help establish the market where then the private sector, instead of the city doing it, um, the private sector then sees the, the economics work. Uh, and that then they take the lead and redevelop properties on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask because we've also covered a lot the corridor concepts with Morpsey and ULI is is talking about sort of densifying corridors. And as I mentioned, you have two pretty significant corridors running right through your community. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is what we're seeing in other places. In some places is um, sort of older retail properties being redeveloped into Mm mixed-use properties. Is that something you see as the future in Whitehall also? We are very open to that because we realize that mixed-use development is working. It's working. And people like it. So why wouldn't we look at that? It's beneficial to the developer and it's beneficial to the community. It just makes sense. Absolutely. I, I don't, I mean, I don't think I could have said it better myself. I mean, as I mentioned at the very beginning, the only way that we're going to continue to, to grow and to accommodate the 118 people a day that increased central house population is to go up. So where we have, you know, single store, single story retail, I think it only makes sense that those are going to have to become multi-story mixed use. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've always thought it was interesting town and country. That's one of the first developments of its kind really like in the country some people say yes um do you see a future for that development are there plans in the works to sort of refresh that or or what so i can tell you that i mean we're having conversations with casto you know on a weekly basis about a variety of projects um and certainly i think casto you know there is this um that we are still working to make the economics work so if you're casto and you're town and country that has a pretty low vacancy rate um, the idea of emptying it, deleasing the building, tearing it down and rebuilding is something that the economics have to work. And so we're working to, to try to figure out how do we make that, how do we make those economics work? How do we ensure uh, that it's a project that will be viable for the long term, be sustainable? Um, and so you certainly, I think, I think everyone in the development world um, certainly understands that big box retail and inline retail are certainly uh, having challenges uh, currently and uh, if you juxtapose that to the areas that are doing you know more of the mixed use walkable urban pedestrian kind of oriented development those seem to be thriving um, and so I don't think Whitehall will be any different than you know some of those other communities that you have visited you know whether it be in Columbus or in Upper Arlington 
Um, you know, it was just re- you know reported last week. You know, uh, Upper Arlington's uh, you know being frustrated with Kroger and waiting for the next big bo- you know that big box retail and do we zone so that we don't allow big box retail? I mean, what are you know, I have, um, we're, we're fortunate. Uh, one of the other members of our development team uh, is a urban planner by trade uh, with from Ohio State. And so he has a master's in urban planning. And I think every time we, we look at a big box, I think he gets a nervous tick. So, um, or when you talk about parking uh, that isn't structured or underground, he, he gets, you know, a twitch. So, um, you know, we understand that town and country currently um, is working, um, but how do you position it? to take advantage of the changing market um, in a way that then can last for the next 50 years. Because you're right. I mean, Town & Country was the first in-line shopping center at least east of the Mississippi. Um, and so it certainly, you know, put Whitehall on the map when it was built. And so we, we certainly are trying to work with Casto to understand how we can reposition Town & Country to put Whitehall and Casto back on the map again. Mm-hmm. You mentioned all these other communities that are building these kind of mixed-use developments. Do you see um, the competition kind of heating up? I mean, there's a limited number of developers that can build these things and a lot of places that seem to want them. Um, And we had talked a little bit previously about regional cooperation and how does this, um, is there sometimes, do you think, uh, uh, competition between the different communities and does that make it harder to get these projects done? I don't think so. I think what is the driving factor is how unique is this and what's the deal that I can get on this. So every community is different and has different needs. So you can make those kind of developments. They don't have to be cookie-cutter developments. And I think that's why developers like this so much and that they know that it's not cookie cutter, that they can really put a different spin on these things. They have the ability to do that, and that only helps them in the long run in that they can have a bigger product when when they try to go for the next development. And if you talk to folks at Columbus 2020 or the Columbus Partnership, I mean, they certainly prescribe to the rising tide lifts all ships. If there are additional redevelopments or developments like the one in Norton Crossing, um, that is only going to be helpful from, you know, the attraction of employers, retaining employers, and growing employers. Um, And so, you know, obviously Central Ohio is very blessed to have a growing population, uh, a low unemployment rate. um, And so where the the only place where I would see the competition being, um, or that there being a, a bit of a competition, is in the construction market um, and the increases we're seeing in construction pricing. And, and you know, I don't know. I, I think that there are more developers who would want, who can do development. I think that the real challenge is uh, in the finding the skilled trades to be able to actually do the construction. Not necessarily in the developers who, you know, finance it and, and hire the contractors, but more, you know, the the competition to get the skilled trades construction crews, uh, you know, ready and queued up and in line. Um, that's the only place where I really see, um, you know, that quote-unquote competition. I'm very fortunate as a development practitioner that in central Ohio, the, the development practitioners at, you know, at the local levels are all very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I belong to Mo, the Mid-Ohio Development Exchange, um, which is a consortium of development practitioners. So it's all the local development directors and staff. 
and you know the mayor's chairperson uh, for uh, Coma or Coma, the Central Ohio Mayor and Managers Association. I, the Columbus Way really does kind of come out too in the development world too. That you know, there is there competition, not so much in that I can get a project and you can't, but more um, you know that rising tide really is lifting all ships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all about manpower. I mean, we have a limited amount of people who um, have the qualifications in order to do this type of work. So, you know, what are the trades going to do about this? How are they going to try to attract more people into the trades? Because right now it's so difficult and some projects are being put on hold because they can't get the manpower. And also we're bringing people in from out of state, travelers is what union unions call them, to come in and, and help. And that's a bit kind of difficult too because everybody's been trained in a different way. And uh, that could also, you know, have some issues itself. But the real issue is manpower and uh, qualified manpower. So that's that's a big issue we're going to have to deal with. And how do we attract more people into those occupations? Great. I mean, we've talked a lot about these um, big development projects. Um, I wondered if we could just close on, you know, a lot of our readers probably aren't too familiar with Whitehall. Mm -hmm. What would you like them to know about your community? Well, we're very close to Big Walnut Creek. We have a beautiful park on the east side of Whitehall called Whitehall Community Park. And we're getting ready. Uh, We've been doing a lot of uh, renovations in that park. We're getting ready to do uh, possibly a canoe launch. So for nature lovers, that's a wonderful place to come. You, You start off high and then you drive down and you go to the bottom part of the park and it's just beautiful. It's it's pristine when you go over there. So I'd like for people to know about that. I mean, you have that type of nature in such an urban area, it's almost unheard of. And I think that that's probably a gem that most people don't even know about. I was over there yesterday, actually, and I was looking down into the water. It was crystal clear where you could actually see the rocks down, you know, right right there. And so I that's one thing I'd really like to for people to to know about. Also, the fact that we have some beautiful homes here in Whitehall, older homes on Maplewood and Collingwood that are gorgeous. And if uh, you know if you know any flippers who want to come in and flip a home and get a great price, come to Whitehall because we have a lot of those. And also we have a beautiful stretch of road on Fairway Ave, uh, Boulevard that's gorgeous. So we have some beautiful homes here, and uh, we also you know have a great amount of ethnic restaurants that if people want something different, try Whitehall because we have. Greek, we have Ethiopian, we have Chinese, we have the gamut. And uh, come on over because we got good eats. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you both for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. You're thank welcome. You. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite contractor. 
If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Thank you.